On the line with us today, we have Annabelle Abstreets, the author of Sleepless, and it's a book. And Annabelle, if you don't mind, I'm going to just introduce a little bit of what G.P. Putnam's sons wrote on the publicity sheet for people who might not know about the book. They, you know, you, you got to give um, publishers credit. Uh, they, the, the, the idea of a synopsis is, is pretty well, uh, I think, uh, overlooked. But anyway, here's, here's what they wrote about your book. <clears throat> Sleepless weaves their exploits with Ab Street's dizzying descent into the black hole of insomnia after the startling deaths in quick succession of her father, stepfather, and beloved family pet. Like many women, the author believes she'd simply power through the grief and pain, but she soon discovered that tenacity was not the key to healing. Instead, she refused drugs and sleep aids and stopped fighting her internal demons. She eventually learned to embrace what she calls her night self, where her wakeful, naturally altered night brain offered solace and serenity. That's pretty good. You, you go yeah. along with that? <laughs> yeah, that's I haven't heard that before. Oh, did you write that? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's very well written, but I didn't write it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because those of us that interview the authors, we use these things. And obviously we use the book, but, you know, you, you have to, you know, always distill it down for the listener who's only going to listen for a few minutes. Mm. And, you know, the, the guy, you, you folks are writing a book. You don't, you don't write the publicity, but I think they did a good job there. So we're talking with Annabelle about the, what I just said, the night self. Can you, can you explain that a little bit for people who might wonder what that is? Sure. It's the, um, it's the it's the sort of the version of ourselves that we discover when we are awake at night. And by awake at night, I don't mean, you know, just out at a, a party at uh, midnight or whatever. I mean, when you when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're all alone and you, you know, you start to, well, most of us, most of us start to ruminate and to catastrophize and to worry. I think that's the normal state of affairs. But but what I learned was that if you can you know, dial that voice right down, there is another version of ourselves, which I, I as you point out, I call the night self. And um, when I started investigating the, the sort of biology of this, I was uh, thrilled to discover that, you know, very there are a lot of very new bits of research out there suggesting uh, from scientists that, yes, our brain does we uh, sort of rewire itself for nocturne for night and that these rewirings are bound to light and dark so as soon as the light sort of drains out of the sky we already know of course that our bodies start to change in preparation for the night and our blood pressure falls and our, our temperature uh, falls and we shed more dead skin and all sorts of things happen biologically but it seems that things also happen uh, neurologically in our brain that make us think quite differently to how we think during the day. You, in your book, you said that you, as a, I don't know how long this was, but that you as a youth, a child, uh, feared the dark, the night. Is that, and, and I don't know if that's all that uncommon for children, uh, but it, did that continue on or what was your story? Well, what's very interesting is that most very young children are not afraid not are not afraid of the dark at all and they you know when they're small really small toddlers they sort of find it all quite exciting but as they get older and typically about the age of 8 or 9 they start to become much more frightened of darkness and that 
seems to continue into adulthood for for many of us, not everyone, uh, and and disproportionately for women, we are we are typically more frightened of darkness. Uh, so that seems to be another biological and evolutionary sort of trait, because of course, going back millennia, nights were very dangerous times. There were you know, predators. Uh, we were we were you know we were often very vulnerable at night in a way that we're we're not now. So a lot of the changes that happen to us physiologically are designed to really keep us safe at night. So, for example, our hunger hormone uh, falls away entirely. Uh, and that is a that is so that we didn't at, at night go out feeling hungry and start foraging, uh, you know, in front in front of a, a hungry lion. So a lot of these changes are designed to keep us safe. But but from generations and, and fat thousands of years back and they're not they're not at all relevant now. So uh, the, the the darkness was the other factor I discovered. So at night, the brain is altered, but also the darkness itself brings a whole set of um, other issues that we have to contend with. And in, in my case, that was mostly fear. Uh, for women, of course, it's often about fear of being outside. And I think even, even now in today's in today's society, you know, we're not so frightened of lions, but a lot of us are frightened of being uh, burgled in our homes at night. We are frightened if we if we are outside of being attacked at night. So so night still brings a whole sort of level of fear with it that our bodies have to and our brains have to deal with. We're talking uh, with Annabelle Abstreets about her book, Sleepless. And you say in the book, and you did a lot of research on this, Annabelle, I know, that nighttime is... Uh, and I, I guess this is research based, but people do more, uh, I'm going to say crazy things, but uh, more excited at night. Well, there's a good reason why you're concerned at night, because that's when the, the crazies are out there. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting because part of the the reason that uh, yeah, these things happen at night, part of the reason is because it's quiet and the opportunity exists. So people might think I'll go out and you know, and, and commit some crime because I'll get away with it because there's no one around or there's right. no one to see me. But in fact, nowadays, of course, there are cameras. <laughs> it, it's, you know, you're just, as, you're just as visible really at night as you are during the day. But the other fact, it does seem to be this rewiring of the brain that makes us slightly more reckless at night. And I found this in myself, actually, and I'm not a reckless person at all. But what happens when the, when the darkness comes, when the darkness starts to sort of come down, our part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex goes into partial hibernation, usually just because it's tired and it's resting. But this part of our brain, which is the most evolved brain part we have, it's the part that is responsible for, uh, you know, thinking rationally, uh, behaving, keeping emotions in check, weighing up, you know, risk versus reward, uh, you know, making lists. It's, it's a very organized, methodical um, sort of communal part of our brain, really. Uh, but at night, that brain part becomes quite tired and it sort of effectively goes to sleep. And so when that bit of the brain is out of action, you know, other parts have to open up to compensate. But it also means that the part that's keeping us in check during the day and saying, oh, if you do that, you could end up in prison. And is that really worth it? That part of the brain isn't functioning. So there is, there does seem to be a tendency for us to be a, just a little bit more reckless and to feel a little bit emboldened at night. And of course, perhaps if you if you are a criminal, you know, that that's not such a great thing for the rest of us. But if you're just a normal 
person who is you know going through a little bit of insomnia that slight recklessness is really the equivalent of your your inner critic just going to sleep you're not judging yourself you're not assessing what you do you're not evaluating it so for me i started doing things that i wouldn't normally do during the day but that was that was not you know nothing criminal that was writing poetry and lyrics uh-huh. Which I would never do during the day because it's, you know, I, I would think that's not productive. Uh, that's a bit of a waste of time. And I, and I would also think, oh, I can't do that. But at night, that brain part is saying something different. It's saying, oh, have a go, you know, go on, have a go. So mm-hmm. I do think that for anyone wanting to think a little bit differently, perhaps who, some, particularly people who keep themselves you know, in, in tight check, which most of us do during the day, that opportunity to to think slightly more whimsically is 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 worth exploring now you you you're um how what is, what is your present situation at night now are you content to sleep or do you like to stay up do you wake up or, or what's what's your now that you've sort of explored this yeah uh, inner self or night self what what's your present situation well, I mean, it's typical, really, isn't it, Steve? No sooner had I discovered my night self and I, I was thinking, gosh, I really like, you know, my insomnia is giving me the gift of time and the gift of a different brain. No sooner had I discovered that, of course, then I started to sleep, <laughs> which um, <laughs> I suppose is what you know, I needed to do. Brain but says, fooled you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's, it's just, I just thought, gosh, that's typical. So I, I do miss my night self now, but I still have nights where I will wake up, you know, usually at sort of around three and I will be awake for two, maybe three hours. Uh, and before I would have just, I would have just, you know, fretted and tossed and turned and got a little bit cross with myself and worried about whether I'd be able to, you know, give a talk properly the next day or do any work the next day. Now I don't. I just, I light my candle straight away and I get my notebook out and I just start scribbling away. And what I found is that after that, I do usually then go back to sleep fairly, fairly swiftly. Uh, there's something quite cathartic about it as well. I think if you if you when you lie there stewing in all your ruminative thoughts, that's actually incredibly stressful. And I think what our bodies do is they just produce more of the stress hormone that makes us more and more wide awake and less likely to go back to sleep. So mm. by by you know sitting there and just writing or drawing or um, going for a walk or looking out at the stars, something like that, I think just distracts you and enables your brain then to switch off and of course you can then return to sleep but in doing so you've actually got something that when you look at it the next day it's quite often surprising pleasantly surprising who did that <laughs> yeah yeah wow uh, <laughs> who the, knew the um you've got all kinds of uh phrases and and uh, sort of a uh, you know words that that I think I find fascinating in your book, biphasic sleep, uh, where you sleep in what, two two sections, if that's the right way to put it, uh, with yeah. separated by some time awake? Yes. Is, yes. is that normal or is that some people yeah. do it or how do you do a look at that? Well, it is thought that that is how our ancestors in the not so distant past slept. So if you look at the diary of Samuel Pepys, for example, he's our most famous diarist here in the UK. And he kept these very, very extensive journals where he literally detailed the whole of his life. And and he that was back in the 17th century. 
And his diaries make continuous references to his first sleep and his second sleep. Oh. And sometimes he talks about the things that he does after he wakes up after his first sleep and he goes and does things like he'll visit a neighbor and have a cup of tea uh, or he'll write his journal or he'll go for a walk. And when this was first discovered, I think people thought that was a bit of an anomaly. Perhaps he was just a little bit odd. But since then, many, many more historians have started going through all these very old letters and journals and finding that this style of sleep, you know, sleeping in two separate chunks was quite normal. And people would often do all sorts of things in the middle of the night, uh, some of which will leave to your imagination, but others like socialising. Uh, and the one, in fact, I kept coming across because I was looking mainly at the diaries and journals and letters of, of women. Uh, what they did was pray. There was a, such a lot of praying going on, you know, between the hours of, of three and five. I think, you know, half the women of England were were, were deep in prayer, communing, communing with God. And for them, it was, you know, a divine time, a very spiritual time. And I suspect that's how they returned themselves to sleep as well. Talking with Annabelle Abstreets, the author, authors of Sleepless, uh, you, you cite a lot of um, famous folks and, and other folks that uh, uh, were celebrities, but maybe not so well-known, writers and uh, accomplished people of all sorts. I got to, you know, the uh, Virginia Woolf comes to mind, um, who I think is well-known, um, but also is known for committing suicide. Um, yes. It, now, of course, that was during, was it during the war? It was like 41 or something. It was just, yes, it was, she couldn't, she couldn't face, she couldn't face, mm. I think, the, the how the war seemed to be playing out at that stage. And and that would have been the, the rational rather than, you know, because I think you set up the fact that she was a very accomplished knight. She had a very accomplished knight self. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, she did. And I think it's a really interesting point that I, I think you're heading towards, Steve, which that it is definitely... Uh, and researchers have, have confirmed this, there is a link between mental illness and insomnia. And uh, I think you, know, you can't skirt over that. So, mm -hmm. of course, the whole chapter on Sylvia Plath, whose sleep just disintegrated in her last few months. She was barely sleeping at all. But there's, there's definitely a link. And um, people with uh, depression and anxiety do not sleep so well. And people who don't sleep so well are more likely to have uh, depression and anxiety. So so there's, there's a sort of connection. But and for those people, you know, sleep, I would suggest it is particularly important. But for um, but for other people, um, but firstly, stressing about being awake at night it will, is only adding to the anxiety and, and possibly to the depression. But but for other people, it's definitely a, a place, I think, a place to to explore and to spend some time rather than than taking sleeping pills. So a lot of the people I talk about in the book lived at a time when you couldn't go to your doctor, your GP, your physician and, and get sleeping pills. Of course, lots of us now uh, now will do that. And I think 8%, 8% of Americans are on are on regular sleep medication, which we know isn't particularly good for you. So so for me, after the, the bereavements that sort of triggered the insomnia, my choice really was, you know, go go to my physician and, and get sleeping pills or embrace it. So right. it wasn't really it wasn't really a choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it's an interesting. I mean, obviously, you wrote a whole book about it. But the, you know, the, the challenge or, or what you're offering to to readers is look at night as a place, not a time. And instead of a bad sleep, you have you're you're becoming. I think you just said a good watcher. 
you know, you're doing something else, you're whatever, writing or, or playing the piano or whatever. That might disturb some people in the house. But anyway, uh, you have to think of that. But that it is fascinating to think of that because we just automatically, you know, sort of look at night as well. It's a quiet time, a dark time. You know, we we got to stay away from that. Whereas if you look at it as this is my time, uh, it's a whole different deal. Yeah, that's right. And I think the other thing that has terrified a lot of people are the just the growing number of headlines, which aren't always accurate, which say, if you don't sleep for eight hours a night, you know, you will get dementia and you will get type two diabetes and you will get heart disease. So there's a there's a lot of a very negative press about being awake at night, which I think is uh, largely misformed and 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 not accurate because and again that's changing too the research now is showing that people who are awake at night if they're using that time are in fact less likely to for example get dementia that was a, a study that came up about three months ago so so it's it's really how you use that night and for a lot of people who don't have time during the day to perhaps draw or I don't know embroider or write poetry or keep a journal you know that quiet uninterrupted totally sort of free empty time is absolutely perfect for doing something that you really want to do for yourself we're talking with uh annabelle ab streets about her book uh, sleepless and you, you've got all these great uh things that i i pick up on here synaptic saturation was one i i, I noticed where the brain fills up during the day and requires a nightly prune, as your words, to to create space for the next day. And you know, you when you put things like this, first of all, you come away from your book totally in awe of the brain, because you know, I'm sure everything's different. You know, each individual has their own tendencies, but it is amazing what what goes on in there. And and you you kind of uh, reach out to tell people explore that a little bit. Yeah, the brain is truly amazing. I mean, I, I started to think really of the brain as a, you know, it's like a city. And at night, several of the big arterial roads, the big roads have to shut down because they need to sort of rest and repair and they're, and they're, they're, they're full. <laughs> so they shut down. But what happens when they shut down, if you're awake, not if you're asleep, is that other brain parts that aren't used so much start to open up. So you're, it's almost as though, which is, again, like, you know, if you're a driver, then you have to take all the back roads because the big roads are shut for repairs. So you start to, um, you know, just feel feel things slightly differently. You, you often, often I notice that as you know, emotions feel a little bit closer to the surface. Everything feels slightly more uh, raw in a way. And the world also feels a very thin place at night. You know, you just feel as though you could just put your hand through and be in another world. And in fact, what I found with my research was that so many particularly creative types, whether that was musicians, composers, uh, writers, artists, also found that the night was their place when they would produce really quite different work. And often when they, you know, they would look at it in the morning and think, how, you know, did I do that? How did I do that? Because it was a, a different version of them that was sort of producing the work. Wow, that's uh, one of the people that jumped out at me in your book that you cite, uh, Daphne du Maurier, the uh, uh, author. And, you know, I think the 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 matter, she didn't she face a problem uh, with her husband and 
uh, I don't know if you want to get into that, uh, the, the little uh, bio sketch you did on her. Um, but uh, did sure. that result in her being sleepless for a while? Or, or what was the story? Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of people mm -hmm. are precipitated into sleeplessness by something right. distressing. distressing or confusing, whether that's a bereavement or, or loss of some sort. So for Daphne du Maurier, who was actually a very good sleeper, uh, it was the discovery that her husband had been having this affair for quite a long time and also that he was alcoholic and he was very ill. She just hadn't realised that he had this other life going on. And that was a real shock for her. And she realised at the time that she could no longer sleep in her in the marital bedroom. The, the whole the, It was just too claustrophobic. And she just said, you know, I needed, I needed to be outside. So she did something a little bit strange. She took her bed outside and slept in the garden. We don't know how long she was doing this for. This could have gone on for weeks. We're not quite sure. But what really changed was the writing that she then would do on the on the subsequent days and she started to produce these um these short stories uh, and you can see that the night is, is very um sort of lends itself to the short story into the poem rather than the novel for marathons no. when she and went she out very quirky very quirky very strange very dreamlike uh <laughs> short stories about about people out, out outside with you know phantoms and <laughs> spirits and things. No, uh, night out under the stars. When she went outside, she had already written the birds, right? Because I'm thinking that that yes. that, that right there is an act of courage. If that was on her mind, uh, go yeah, outside and sleep people. beneath the, the trees and all of that. But uh, I'll, I'll need to check. I'll need to check the date of that story. I think it was. I think it was after. But she produced a whole series of very weird stories. It didn't sell particularly well because they weren't sort of classic Daphne du Maurier. But they were Daphne du Maurier sort of night self at work. Right. Well, and that's the fascinating thing that you you kind of uh, discovered or, or you know share with with readers is you know. Folks that have done different things and accomplishments and, you know, we know them and they're famous, whatever, um, they found their way to do it in different ways, but oftentimes not the traditional way. Because I think one of the questions I ask authors when we do these things is, well, what's your routine? Do you do it before breakfast or do you write on weekends or blah, blah, blah? In this case, it might be when the spirit moves you. And if that's at night then you should be doing it then. And and that's uh, that's what you've got. A lot of those folks there that, that did that. Yes, yes. And that's why I think that the message coming out of the, the sleep industry, which is now worth, you know, $100 billion, it's a huge industry, just needs to be a little bit more nuanced. It, it can't be, you know, you, you need to have your eight hours sleep at, at any cost. It, it just mm -hmm. needs to say, I think, that there are other opportunities that you, you shouldn't worry about the fact that you're awake, you might want to have a pencil and a notebook by your bed. You might just want to try tapping into your more reflective, creative night brain uh, rather than sort of terrifying, terrifying us all into rush it, rush it, rushing out to get some sleeping pills. Right. Um, because well, there's definitely opportunities there. I know this is a subject that was one last thing Annabelle, I want to ask you about, and that's um, the matter of uh, light and darkness, because I know light pollution has become an issue around the world, uh, but certainly in in uh, sort of the metropolitan areas where lights abound. And, uh, you know, you, you take that aerial view now and it's just the world is lit up. Um, what what can one do there? What do you what is your thought on 
uh, light pollution, if that's the, the correct term. Yeah, that is the correct term. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a, I think it's a tragedy, really, partly for, you know, all sorts of wildlife that rely on darkness, but also for for, you know, for us, for humans, because our ancestors used to look up at the night sky and spot, you know, constellations and stars and meteors and, and be able to watch the faces of the moon. And that is incredibly inspiring, also very, very calming, actually. Uh, so I think that gave them a sense of uh, security and continuity and, and predictability, which we we need now and we don't have because we look out of our window at night and uh, we see a whole, you know, a whole sheet of orange sky glow, not a star, not a star in sight. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I think I think and I think also we we are craving darkness because a lot of us are living spending living yeah all day in light and all evening in light as well whether that's coming through our curtains and shutters from street lights or whether it's because you know we've got screens on and we've got little wi-fi lights blinking everywhere so right. it's very difficult <clears throat> how our ancestors lived um, so, so the advice generally is to keep the <clears throat> if you do wake up is to keep the lights really low just light a candle or have a very low lamp on in a sort of in an am amber color not that blue harsh light that is so um, unpleasant for the eyes in the middle of the night, and use that sort of a, that sort of a light to do your uh, thinking, reading, writing, whatever it is you're going to do. Well, Annabelle, it's been as as always. It's fascinating because um, listeners of this uh, podcast will recall that you're the pre. You're, you've also written a number of books, but uh, Fifty Two Ways to Walk was uh, the one that uh, we spoke about before. So uh, what's next for you, Annabelle? You got another book in mind or is it what to do when you're staying up late or what, is that yet to be determined? <laughs> no, no, I've just completed uh, my next book, which is about how different landscapes affect us. So how, oh. how we are changed emotionally, mentally, physically, when we are in mountains compared to when we are walking beside rivers or when we are in cities compared to when we are in forests. So I just look at 20 different landscapes and the effect they have on our... You, you're just compelled to make us think, aren't you, Annabelle? We just have to <laughs> go with that and think, oh, now I know why I get these thoughts when I'm in the, well, the mountains <laughs> or the hills or where it is. Well, very good. Well, <clears throat> the book again is Sleepless and... Um, Unleashing the subversive power of the night self. And as always, it's a pleasure and a fascinating subject. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. <laughs> Take care. Bye.